So salvation is made whole, okay? And I went through and talked about all the different ways that salvation could be translated, but if you, if you really bring it, bring it down to what it actually is, it's being made whole. The other translation I love is cured. I think that is just, I was talking to Evan about that this week, and I think that is awesome. Like, how many of you pictured when you, when you believe in Jesus, you start this relationship with Jesus, how many of you view that as in you being cured? Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's unbelievable. Cured of what? I would argue religion, but, you know, that's just me. So, um, so today we're going to talk about what is the gospel. So we're going to transition from salvation to what is the gospel. So I want to answer these three questions. If you're writing these down, I'm trying to do this in a, in a way that's really conducive to notes. So three questions I'm going to answer today. Uh, number one, what is the gospel? What is the gospel? Number two, how do we share the gospel? What is the gospel? How do we share the gospel? And then number three, how do we live in or through the gospel, okay? So, and I'm going I'm to take a really, really long trip around the bend, and then we'll get to the end and answer basically all three questions um, together. So, but this is huge, and you'll see why in a second. So let me just kind of go through some notes, and then we're going to end up in 1 John 1. 1 John 1. So if you want to kind of turn there while I'm walking through these notes, that would be amazing. Uh, okay, the Greek word, if you didn't know the New Testament, primarily written in Greek, the Greek word for gospel is the word euangelion, euangelion, okay? And this in Greek means good news. So most of you, if you grew up in church or if you've been around church, somebody said, you know, either you're going to preach the gospel or we're going to preach the good news. It's because the word euangelion means good news or gospel, either one. So the gospel is the good news. Okay, Thayer's Greek lexicon, which is one of the many lexicons, says it like this, and I think this is really good. It says that this word, euangelion, is the glad tidings. So it's an old lexicon, okay? Tidings means just news or information. See, I, didn't, I literally had to look up that. I didn't know what tidings meant. So did anybody else, if I say tidings, do y'all know what that means? No, nobody does, right? We don't say that. So anyway, I felt better. If all of y'all were like, oh, yeah, I know what that means, I would have felt really bad. So anyway, thank y'all for helping me out. But um, glad, so this is what it says, this word, euangelion, glad tidings, so glad information of the kingdom that is soon to be set up. That's what the gospel is, is the, the glad or let's say it like this. It is the happy news of the kingdom that is soon to be set up. Okay, unreal. Now, Keep in mind, uh, euangelion shows up in places like at the end of Mark when Jesus is saying, go and share this gospel or this good news. And so can you imagine picture, Jesus has died, risen again. He's about to ascend and he's telling them, I've done all of this. Now go preach the message that the kingdom is being set up. So that's kind of where you get the idea. Okay, it comes from the same root word as the word euangelizo, which means good message. So that's another way you could kind of think of this. Okay, so this word or idea, and I've taught on this before, so this is review, amazing, but just for everybody to be on the same page. This word or this idea did not originate with the Jesus followers. So the word, the, the, the idea of a gospel did not originate with the early church, okay? It actually originated with Alexander the Great, who in the 300s BC conquered the entire known world with the euangelion of 
for him, Hellenism, okay? His message, when they would conquer a territory, they would preach a gospel, a good news, that is, I'm so glad you guys are here. Y'all got to be glad that we're here because Hellenism is here. And that was their good news, okay? So Hellenism, just to give you a review, remember, Hellenism is a cultural move to push the gods for the Greeks. They had multiple gods. To push the gods to the fringes and to put man in the middle of the story. That was Hellenism. Hellenism is we're going to take the gods, or for us, God, and we're going to push them to the edge of the story. And in the middle of the story, we're going to put man. So that's where you get the philosophers saying things like this. Man is the measure of all things which goes against what we believe, which is God being the measure of all things, right? Or let me say like this, what we should believe, God being the measure of all things, what we basically believe is man is the measure of all things, right? We do church to appease men. We do not do church, typically in the West, for what God wants. We do church for what man wants because subconsciously we believe man is the measure of all things, but it's not. God is the measure of all things. So man in the kingdom submits to God, not making God submit to our ambitions. See, that's a very big shift. It's a very, because if, if we're shifting to man's ambitions, I'm going to preach for 20 minutes and get you out here in an hour. But if we're going to God's ambitions, I'm not going to let you leave here until you get closer to him, which might take a little more than an hour, maybe. Do you know what I'm saying? So it's a big shift. Okay, here's the Voltaire quote. This is a French, French uh, theologian, poet, philosopher. Voltaire said this, God made man in his image and man has been trying to return the favor ever since. All right, and Blaise Pascal kind of took that quote and reworked it. And he said this, he said, uh, God made man in his image and man returned the favor. So, God made man in his image, and since then, we have been trying to make God in our image. Um, i got to take this off. I'm roasting up here. Y'all good? Are y'all hot? No? Okay. Well, I'm about to combust up here, so that's just me. Okay. Okay. So, the good news of Hellenism, this is Alexander the Great. The good news of Hellenism was announced that the kingdom of man is being established. That was Hellenism. That was Alexander the Great. That was the gospel that the kingdom, Jesus gospel, came on the heels of. So before Jesus and the early church was preaching a gospel, Alexander the Great and the Greeks and then the Romans were preaching a gospel, which is we're setting up a kingdom of man that's built on man. Jesus comes in with a good news saying, the kingdom is at hand that is built on God. Okay? So you can kind of see when you read the New Testament, if you know a little bit about culture and you know a little bit about how um, the, the setting, I guess, of the New Testament stories, you can see a lot of what the New Testament writers are doing is combating language of the current culture. Even Jesus does this. So it's really cool. The good news of Jesus was the announcement that God, or excuse me, the kingdom of God is being established as opposed to Hellenism. So what is the kingdom? Here we go. 1 John 1.5. 1 John 1.5. Uh, Lord, I just went past 1 John three times. <clears throat> 1 John 1.5. It's going to be really familiar if you've been here for a while. If you haven't been here, 
um, you might not have ever heard this, so this is going to be really good. 1 John 1, I'm going to start at verse 1 and go to verse 5, so just a few verses. This is what, and I'm reading from the Passion Translation just because I like the way it sounds. So, here we go. We saw, John's writing this, obviously. We saw him with our very own eyes. We saw him with our very own eyes. We gazed upon him and heard him speak. Our hands actually touched him. The one who was from the beginning. The living expression of God. We touched the one who was from the beginning. The living expression of God. That is huge. Verse 2. This life giver was made visible and we have seen him, we testify to this truth. The eternal life giver lived face to face with the Father and has now dawned upon us. So we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard about this life giver so that we may share and enjoy this life together. For truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son Jesus, the Anointed One. We are writing these things to you because we want to release to you our fullness of joy. Now, here we go. You ready? This is the life-giving message we heard him share, and it's still ringing in our ears. The word, pause, for life-giving message is the word angelia, angelia in Greek, and it's found only twice in the New Testament, only two times. And it is related, it's related semantically to euangelion. So, what John is saying is, this is the gospel or the good news that we heard him share and it's still ringing in our ears. We now repeat his words to you. John is saying, this is the gospel we heard from Jesus from the very beginning. Now I want you to tell me what I'm about to read. I want you to tell me if you have ever heard this preached in relation to this being the gospel. Here's what he says. This is the gospel that Jesus preached. God is pure light. You will never find even a trace of darkness in him, period. Huh, what? That's it? Now, how, how many of you just growing up, if you've been in church, maybe you haven't been in church, but if you live in the South, whether or not you've been in church, you've heard something about the gospel. So how many of you in church have ever heard somebody say, we're going to preach the gospel today, and here's the gospel. God is light. There's no darkness in him. You've heard it? Amazing. Awesome. Wait, where? Well, no, I'll ask you later. I was about to say where you come from, but that might get us in a can of work. Right? You've heard that? Awesome. Well, that's two more than I thought would be have heard that. Amazing. But the gospel message that a lot of the people in the South have heard is, starts with how, how awful mankind is. You know what I'm saying? Man sinned. That's not where the gospel started. That is not the beginning of the gospel. That's a piece. That's a piece that brought the fulfillment of the gospel. But remember Ephesians 1.4, God joined us to himself before the foundations of the earth. So, so it does not start with man's depravity. We, let me help. We were never depraved. <clears throat> John says... This is the gospel we heard him preach. God is pure light. There is not even a trace of darkness in him at all. The word light is the Greek word phos. The Greek word phos, it means light, it means radiance, and it means a source of light. Phos. In classic Greek writing, phos is used to denote truth and its knowledge 
together with spiritual purity that comes because of it. Okay, it's spiritual purity that comes because of a truth or a knowledge that has been realized. That's how classical Greek uses this word. The other way classical Greek uses it is is to talk about reason or to talk about the mind. Okay, in Matthew 5, 14, Jesus calls us, very familiar, the light of the world. And that's the word he uses, the foes of the world. In John 1, 4, in the Passion Translation or in any other translation, let me just read it real quick so that you uh, aren't getting lost with me. In John 1, 4, this is what John, same person, also writes. Life came into being because of him, Jesus, and his life is light for all humanity. So, in the word there, phos. So his life, whose life? Jesus. Who is Jesus? God. So God life is light for all mankind. Okay? Light, let me just write this so you know. I'm going to write it in blue. Um, light, when you see this word, light, we're just going to say God life. God life. Okay? This is really, this is going to be really cool. So light, I don't know if y'all can see that. I just said God life. There you go. God life. Light. Um, Okay. So God life. If we are made in the image and likeness of God, what is our true life? If we're made like God, then who are we at our most pure state? God life. His life was light to all mankind, okay? So at the most basic form of who we are, we are like God, which means the truth of who we are is God life. Y'all good? Okay, okay, okay. Therefore, light is the reality of who we are because it's the reality of who he is. And who he is is who we are at our most basic state because we're like him, okay? So it is, light is the truth about God, thus the truth about us. I'm going real deep right here. So then the question is, what is darkness? The word in Greek is skotia, skotia, and it means spiritual obscurity. It's that which stands in the way of and distorts and or blocks God light. If light is truth about God and us, or identity, let's say, then what is darkness? Darkness is an obscurity or a distortion, or let's say like this, a misinterpretation of the truth of who we are or who God is, both. So anything that isn't pure truth, this is the question you can answer this, Anything that isn't 100% true is what? A lie. Something that is 99.9% true is still a lie. If I say, if the sky, the sky's blue right now, if you didn't know. So if the sky's blue and I say the sky is aqua, there is a huge measure of that statement that is true because part of aqua is the color blue. However, it's still a lie because the sky is actually blue. Y'all with me? Y'all good? 
Is this too much philosophy for Sunday morning? Okay. So, in John 1, 1, excuse me, in 1 John 1, John says that the gospel Jesus spoke from the beginning. You ready for this? From the beginning. Is, that is still ringing in his ears is that God is pure truth of identity. And in him, there isn't even a trace of misunderstanding about who he is. This is so huge. What does God say in Exodus? Moses is at the burning bush, right? And he says, if I go, let's just say I do what you asked me to do. Let's just say, I go to the Israelites and they say, who do you think you are? Who sent you? Who do I tell them sent me? And what does God say? You tell them what? I am who I am. Huh? Do you know what I'm saying? John says, this is the message. This is the message we heard Jesus speak from the very beginning. God is who he is, and there's not a trace of distortion about who he is in him. God is the I am. God is. This uh, unbelievable, okay? The most basic way that we are like God is to never question who we are. If God, if Jesus, if the message he preaches is God is light, there's not darkness in him. God is exact truth about who he is, and he never questions who he is. There's no room for a question about who he is within him, and we're like him. What does that say? It says that the most basic way that we are like God is to never question who we really are. Let me read the rest of this in two verses, six and seven. John goes on after this, and he says, If we claim that we share life with him, listen to this language he uses. If we claim that we share life with him, but keep walking in the realm of darkness, we're only fooling ourselves and not living the truth. But if we keep living in the pure light that surrounds him, we share unbroken fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, continually cleanses us from all sin. Okay, okay, review time. What did I say? What is sin? Hamartia, what is it? Formlessness, okay? You say, no, sin is immorality. No, immorality is immorality. You know what I'm saying? No, 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 no. Sin is not you doing bad things. Sin is you believing a lie about who you are, and because you don't know who you are, what do you do? Bad things. So I say this all the time. The reason I don't go around sleeping with other women is because I love my wife, not because somebody told me you can't go sleep around with other women. So I'm secure in who I am as a husband, and that produces the law, not the law producing me being secure as a husband. Do you see what I'm saying? Okay, this is is big. So John is saying, if we claim to share life with him, if we claim that we're connected to the message Jesus spoke, but we're still walking in the realm of darkness. What is darkness? It's, obscure, it's distortion. It's a misunderstanding about who you are. So if you claim to be joined to God, who has no question about who he is, but you're still living in a place where you don't know or questioning or are questioning who you are, then you're fooling yourselves and you're not living the truth. That is called religion. That is called you're pretending to be what you are actually not. 
Because it's a lot easier to pretend to be something than to go through the process of becoming something. So it's a lot easier to pretend that you're a solid Christian Bible-believing person than it is for you to go through the transition of laying down your life of formlessness to take up his. It's a lot easier. It's a lot easier for me to come up here and preach to you about how to be happy than it is for me to come up here and tell you who you really are. Because for me to tell you who really, you really are, you're going to have to go through all the things that you have shoved down that has kept you from being who you really are. If I tell you how to be happy, all I'm giving you is more fuel for you to shove everything else down. Amazing. The entire New Testament is not, this is, this is really, really huge. I'm going to get in maybe some trouble for this, um, but I like trouble. The entire New Testament is not pitting people who do bad against people who do good. If you, if you read the New Testament, you do not see Paul saying, here's all the prostitutes, or here's all the thieves, or here's, and then here's all the Bible believers, which one, the New Testament wasn't even written in that, so you know, he wouldn't say that. But here's all the people who follow Jesus, and here's all the prostitutes. No, no, no. The New Testament is not pitting bad people against good people. The entire, if you'll read it, the entire New Testament is pitting religion against covenant. All of it. Paul calls those in sin the religious ones. Let me, let me just say this. I, I, I was thinking about this this morning. When I say religion, I'm, I'm just, all I'm saying is, is the idea that you've got to do something in order to do. I, I'm basically talking about karma. That's what all religion is nothing but the Buddhist thinking of karma. That's all it is. You do this, you get this in return. You do this, and then you don't get this in return. That's called karma. Okay? In America, we call that Christianity. But that, that's, not, that's not what we do. We're not doing karma. We're doing covenant. My relationship with my wife has nothing to do with how she treats me, has everything to do with my yes, I gave her. So, uh, so, the, so the entire New Testament is pitting religion against covenant. Religion at its core is that which is trying to survive the darkness primarily by what it does. Religion is trying to survive a season, it believes, of formlessness called this life in order to, by way of what you have done, earn a place in heaven one day. That's religion, right? Covenant, at its core, is simply light. And in the light, there is no need or desire to earn anything. When the enemy... When Jesus came onto the scene and the enemy went to try to stop the movement that was coming by way of Jesus, who did he go and find? Think about this. Who did he go and find? Did he go and find the uh, drug addict? Did he go and find prostitutes? Did he go and find tax collectors? Did he go and find Romans? No, the enemy went to those in religion and he knew if he could get into the minds of those in religion, religion would do the work for him. He did not go after the Romans. The enemy went after the Pharisees, knowing the Pharisees would do what the Romans would not do. Do you remember the story of the cross? That the, uh, the, they weren't, 
The Romans had no desire to crucify Jesus. It was the religious ones that had a desire to crucify Jesus that convinced the Romans to crucify Jesus. Do you remember the story? It was, not, it, was the, it was the Pharisees who were the ones who were set apart by way of what they do that killed Jesus, not the Romans who the Jews wanted nothing to do with. It wasn't the Gentiles. The Gentiles killed Jesus because the Jews and those in religion convinced the Gentiles this is what needed to be done. You know, right? Religion will kill people a lot faster than being in the world will. A, that is a huge, that's a huge statement. That is a huge statement. The enemy today is trying to stop the move of the Lord that I believe is greater than anything we've ever seen in history. And do you know how he's doing it? He's not doing it by way of the Gentile. He's not doing it by way of those outside of the church. He's doing it by way of those in religion. And we, we are clue, we're clueless. We're glazed. We don't even see it. They don't even see it. If I can, listen, if I can just get them to believe that the point of all of this is to escape, they won't do anything. So here we go. Well, y'all turn, how many, for, for turn to 1 Thessalonians 4. Let's talk about the rapture this morning. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, and, and I'm telling you, that, that is the, that's the shift that the Lord is now coming in and saying, what if you would just shift this perspective right here to see it was never about you escaping. It was about you remaining so that my world could invade yours. It wasn't for everybody in the earth to get to my world. It was everything in my world to get to everybody in the earth by way of you. Okay, so, so this, is, this is what John is saying, okay? That the entire New Testament is, is all about pitting religion against covenant. What would be the point of a gospel that according to John, who was the beloved, what would be the point of a gospel that said God is fully convinced of who he is and has no question at all about who he is? Think about this. Now, you have the luxury of everything I just said, but what would be the point of John saying, this is the gospel. God never questions who he is. What? Amazing. That's great, John. What's that got to do with us? I believe all of mankind's wonderings have to ultimately do with broken ideas we have about God. I believe every bit of mankind's wonderings at the, if you could get to the absolute core of man's wanderings, I believe what you would find there is a misunderstanding of who God is. Why? Because in Genesis 1.26, he says, and I've said this over and over, let us make man in our image and likeness. We mirror the image of God. We are not an image. We reflect an image. This is really, this is huge, okay? We are not an image. We reflect the image. God, when he said, let us make man in our image, he did not say, let us make mankind and give them an image like ours. He said, let us make them in our own image. I'm going to create them to reflect who we are. So, we don't originate an image that either is like God or is not like God. We mirror the image of God. There's a huge shift there, okay? 
Because if you think that you have your own image that is trying to look as much like God as possible, what are you, you're going to burn out your days trying to look like God as much as possible. Or you could realize that you look exactly like God, just the way you are, and you could live your life at rest knowing that everything about you reflects him. There's a major shift. One of those causes you to burn out. One of, the, one of those causes you to live in rest. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, those living a life of wondering have not inherited a new image of wondering. They have put a veil over the mirror that has obscured or distorted what they really reflect, which is the image and likeness of God. And what happened at the cross? The veil was torn, not just to the temple, but in our souls. When you listen, this is a huge shift I want to make. This is a huge shift I want to make. Okay, I'm gonna try. No, let me do this in a different color. I'm gonna use green. Okay, so here's God. Woo! Put it around. Okay, that's God, right? Okay, okay, and let's just give God a big old belly. All right. So this is God, right? Here's what we believe. God said, we're going to make man, and here's what he did. He put man down here, gave him evil eyes because we're evil, apparently, and uh, we're here, and our entire lives, we're trying to work our way up to here, and we're told in religion the best we can do is work our way right here, if that. You'll see that? This is not in the gospel. Okay? Here's the gospel. Is you right there? What is the shift? The shift is you don't exist separate from God trying to earn status in God's eyes. You exist in God trying to reflect that which you exist in which is effortless if you will let it be. It is hard. Listen, the easiest thing you and I could do is live a Christian life, if that's what we're going to call it. Easiest thing we can do because it's natural. I mean, anybody in the world, even if they don't go to church, if somebody murders somebody else, they feel bad about it. Why? Because if they're not in Christ, who cares? If they're not thinking about where they go when they die, why would they feel bad about murdering somebody? It doesn't affect anything about what happens to them in the end because they don't even care about what happens to them in the end. Yet, anybody who murders somebody feels bad about it. Why? Because it's unnatural to be anything but like God. So everybody in the earth, we call them in the world, everybody in the world, which Genesis says is good. So I think we need to edit a lot of our language, but everybody in the world, okay, is striving to find an identity that if they would just stop striving and remove the veil of obscurity, they would find reflected naturally in who they are. There's good in everybody, okay? It's not this person's good and this person's bad. It's this person has removed the veil a lot more than this person. But behind those veils is the same mirror reflecting the same image. Okay, this is, I mean, this is really big. So, uh, if all of man, let me, let me, if all of mankind's wonderings come from a broken view of God, what would the gospel of God 
uh, excuse me, of who God is do for mankind? If all of mankind's wonderings come from a broken view of who God is, what would a gospel of exactly who God is do for mankind? It would make clear the image of God, making clear the image we reflect and putting an end to the lie of our lost heads. This is what Paul says in Colossians 1 that I read all the time. He says, you were once alienated with God and enemies in your mind. What is he saying? He's saying you lived out your days thinking God was one way. And because you thought God was one way, you thought you were one way that was actually wrong. So Jesus came not just to get rid of our sin problem. He absolutely came to deal with our sin problem. But he came to deal with the deeper sin problem, which is we had no clue who God was. We had no clue who we were. Who we were and Jesus comes as what? Very God and very man. So Carl Barth says, God, Jesus comes as fully God and fully man in one body. Why? So that when we look into the eyes of Jesus, we see what it looks like for man and God to be completely one without any distortion of who either is. Jesus was completely satisfied in who he was as a man and completely satisfied in who he was as God. And those slammed in together when the announcement was made over Mary, you're going to have a son. And the power of the Most High is going to overshadow you, which is the same overshadowing that Peter had when his shadow fell on people and they got healed. Same word. When the power of the Most High comes over you, God is going to put in your womb, Mary, what it looks like for God and man to be at one. So the cross was the fulfillment of the atonement, but Jesus was the atonement. Jesus was the atonement. At one meant Jesus was where man and God are at one. So it's not whether you and I do things, it's whether you and I will buy into the truth of who Jesus is, which is really who you and I are. Fully man, fully human, but in our guts, fully God. That's why verse six is, or verses 6 and 7 say that you cannot claim to be in or have the light and be in the darkness at the same time. It's not saying if you're in the light, you'll never do one bad thing. And if you do one bad thing, you have to question whether or not you're in the light. That's not what he's saying. He's saying if you truly are in the light, you'll never have a question about who you are. And if you are questioning who you are, You've never experienced the fullness of the life in the light of never questioning who you really are. What, how could we live if there was not one question about who we really were in the eyes of God? How would you live? Like, you know what I'm saying? I mean, how, how, would you, how would you even like, let's say, pray for people? Like, how would you, I don't know, do devotion time? How would you read your Bible? How would you have a marriage how would you be a dad? A little sidetrack real quick, because I'm almost done. little sidetrack. Y'all good with the sidetrack? I'm going to do it anyway. So um, <laughs> that was completely, I don't know why I asked that. So I, I, so I, I, I threw this out there this week. Our, our culture, let me say it like this. Religion is really crafty. And it has a really good way, and it does it brilliantly, of reshaping itself to be relevant to different cultures. 
So in the 1970s, religion looked a way it does not look today because it looked like 1970 culture needed. You know what I'm saying? Let me say this. Religion is very relevant to culture. Very relevant to culture. So today we transition from suits and ties and, and you know, all that other stuff. We transition from that to ripped jeans and cool shirts, which I'm, I'm wearing. So, you know, ripped jeans, cool shirts. But, but, here, but here's what we, we did. We took the gospel of 1970, um, what's the word I want to look for? Fundamentalism. We took the gospel of the 1970s and 80s and 90s of fundamental, and you've got to do this, and you've got to be Calvinist, you've got to do all that stuff. We transitioned that into what religion looks like today, which is this, okay? You, you've got a, you got a purpose. you got a calling, which is all true. You're absolutely anointed. But it is illegal for you to try to attempt to get into an, an anointing or a calling that God has over your life before you become the person that you absolutely have to be to be in that calling or anointing in your life. We don't tell people that. We tell people they're anointed. What we don't do is get them to a place where they become convinced of the fact that their identity is exactly like his, which would give them permission to be anointed. Jesus spent 30 years being a carpenter before he ever did one thing in ministry. And if Jesus had to go through 30 years of becoming somebody, we have to go through seasons of becoming people. Which gave Jesus permission to do the insane things that he did. He called Lazarus out of a grave four days after he died. The reason we're not doing that is because we haven't gone through the 30 years of becoming somebody that can call somebody out of a grave. We've tried, to, we've tried to get in some cool jeans and cool shirts and say all the right things that you can tweet and then walk up to the grave and pray and pray and pray and nobody's coming out of the graves. And it has nothing to do with the lack of faithfulness of God. It has everything to do with the lack of becoming who we really are. So, quick example. If you go to the zoo, there is a lion exhibit. You ever been there? Really cool. Um, there are only certain people that can go in and deal with those lions, right? Maybe one or two that is on staff at the zoo. Now, why? Because if anybody in the general population that is at the zoo walked into that lion exhibit, what's going to happen? You will die, <laughs> right? You know what I'm saying? You're dead. What gives the zookeepers the permission to be where no one else can be. The fact that before they ever stepped into a lion exhibit, they spent years becoming people that knew about lions. So they have permission to thrive in an environment that would kill everybody else. <laughs> right? So, so what I'm going to do as a shepherd is I'm going to lead you to green pastures to become people who you really are. And what we're going to start to see is going to be slow. But what we're going to see is we're going to start seeing things no other generation has been able to see because they were unwilling to just wait. They were unwilling to remain. I don't, I don't need this church to become 10,000 people in a year. 
I'm satisfied in who I am. I'm completely satisfied. And because I'm satisfied in who I am, that has given me the grace to go slow. That doesn't mean we don't do anything. It means we've shifted what we do. Do you see what I'm saying? We're growing big people, and that's going to give us permission to have a big church. But growing big people takes a long time. And it's one by one by one by, Jesus had 12. He did not have 12,000, he had 12. And, and eventually when he ascended, he had 120. And those 120 gospelized the entire known globe in about 20 years. All right, so that was my little rabbit trail for today. Okay, okay. Once we separate ourselves... Thus, our message, I'm almost done, from religion. Matt, you can go ahead and come up here. And I'm going to answer all these three questions. I have not forgotten, I told you. Once we separate ourselves, thus our message, from religion, everything we do will be to reinforce identity. Everything. Let me read this real quick to you. Let me read this real quick, and then I'm done. Um, And if you've been around here for a while, uh, that means nothing sometimes. So, Romans 8, or Romans 8, Lord. Hebrews 8. I've just read Romans so much. Hebrews 8. Let, let, me, let me just read this verse to you, okay? In Hebrews 8, and this is um, the writer of Hebrews. We don't know who it is. Could be Paul. I believe, I personally believe it was, it was a woman in the church. Uh, either way, it doesn't matter because we don't know for sure. Th- let me read this. This is Hebrews 8, and I'm going to start at verse 7. Hebrews 8, starting at verse 7. If there had been nothing wrong with the first covenant, okay? This is the law, this is the works, this is the religion, etc. If there had been nothing wrong with that, no place would have been sought for another covenant. But God found fault with the people and said, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt because they did not remain faithful to my covenant. And I turned away from this, a horrible translation. Anyway, I turned away from them, said the Lord. Verse 10, this is the covenant that I will establish with the people of Israel after that time. Now, the writer of Hebrews is quoting the Old Testament right here. This is Old Testament. Matt read this, I think, Tuesday night. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my laws, where? On their minds. And I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. There is no questioning in that. He says, there is coming a day where I will be their God and they will be my people and they have no say in it, declares the Lord. That's huge. No longer, no longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord. Why? Because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest. Listen, this is, this is Jeremiah 31. This is Old Testament. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. 
I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. What Jesus, what the writer of Hebrews, what Paul, what all the other New Testament writers are trying to get us to see is that this new creation covenant has nothing to do with your performance like the old law. It has everything to do with whether or not you will live in what is actually real. We, Because I agree, we say this in the church all the time. Uh, salvation is about a decision. Absolutely, absolutely. But the decision is not what saves you. Jesus saved you. The decision that you make is whether or not you're going to live in what Jesus did on your behalf. There is absolutely a decision you and I have to make. That decision is not us on our own authority saving ourselves. That decision is whether or not we're going to live in the reality that Jesus has saved us. Do you see what I'm saying? It's the same thing, but we're shifting the focus back to the mirror. You say yes to Jesus so that you can say yes to who you really are, which is mirroring the image of Jesus into the globe and back to God in thanksgiving. And that saves you, not from hell, but from the hell of not living. Let me say it, not from hell primarily. Let me say that in there, okay? Sure, it'll save you from hell one day when you die, great. But Lord, we stop living in the future. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow's got enough trouble in itself. Seek first the kingdom of God. Stop worrying about tomorrow. Hey, listen, if I ask, if I just went in any, any kind of Christian group or any kind of church and said, what do you believe the point of salvation is? Uh, almost 100% of the time they'll say something about heaven. I agree. It's about heaven being in you here and now. It is not about what happens to you when you die. If you'll live saved now, I try, you'll be saved when you die. But, but the Lord is shifting. We've got to do something. And the thing we've got to do is we've got to be convinced that we are what the world around us will not tell us we are. We've got, listen, we've got to be convinced that we are what religion will not tell us we are. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Religion will come in and say, no, 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 no. Your righteousness is like filthy rags. No, no, your righteousness apart from Jesus is filthy rags, but thank God our righteousness is now found within Jesus. So your filthy rags don't matter at all. That's what Paul was saying, right? Well, you know, brother, you're, 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 you're uh, original sin and you were born in sin. No, you were not born into sin. You were born into Christ. That's what Colossians said. He says that he created humanity in and through and for Christ. You were not made, that you were not born into the devil. That's what we... In order for you to believe you were born into sin, you have to believe you were born into the devil. And the devil does not have that authority. In fact, if I could help, he doesn't have any authority. He doesn't have authority to name you. He doesn't have authority to push you around. You have authority to push you around. And that's what we've done in the church. We've pushed ourselves around and made decisions that have locked us in a cage and said it was the devil. It was not the devil. It was you and I being impatient and waiting on the Lord. I got to hurry. No, I don't. So sin Sin, if you're, if you're viewing this apart from religion and within identity, and I'm gonna answer these questions. If you're viewing, listen how all of this begins to change if you're viewing this in terms of covenant. 
What is sin? Identity problems. What is being saved? Wholeness in your identity. What is holiness? Who you really are. What is righteousness? What your standing really is. What are gifts of the Spirit? That which flows from God's fatherhood being known, etc. Do you see what I'm saying? All of it now is what reinforces, or in the case of sin, tears down who you are. That's all of it. See, in religion, sin and being saved and righteousness and holiness and gifts of the Spirit were all things you have to do to earn places. In identity, all of those things are ways you either become fully or you back away from who you really are. So we're saying all the same things, but we're shifting our perspective from us earning it to Jesus having earned it on our behalf and us living in what he has earned. That's different. I can't earn what Jesus did. He already did it. So instead, I've got to learn how to live in what Jesus has done. My works are not to earn my place in righteousness or holiness. My works are what I do because I have earned a place through Jesus as righteous or holy. You see what I'm saying? I want to evangelize the globe, not because that makes me feel better about who I am in Christ, but because I know exactly who I am in Christ, I want to tell other people exactly who they are in Christ. All of the shift comes from right there in whether we're living in relationship, and and covenant or whether we're living in religion. If God is light and there's no trace of darkness at all in him, what does that make us? Light with no trace of darkness in us either. The gospel, here's the gospel, is not you need to do blank to be saved. Let me read this last verse. This is in Hebrews 9, 25 through 26. Jesus did, or excuse me, nor did he, Jesus, enter heaven to offer himself again and again the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with the blood that is not his own. Otherwise, otherwise, Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. Listen, but he has appeared once for all, at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Who? The writer of Hebrews says that Christ appeared once and for all at the culmination of the age so that through his sacrifice, he could permanently do away with sin. So how, listen, How do you live in something that has been permanently done away with? You don't. It's a lie. Y'all, you with me? How, listen, here's sin. Okay, there's sin. And before the cross of Jesus... That is a battle going on in creation. Are we going to live in this or are we going to live in this? Are we going to live in this? Jesus comes and through his death, he does that. It's gone. So for you and I to live in sin is for you and I to live in what? Nothing's here. And if something's not a truth, it's what? A lie. Do do, y'all see what I'm saying? Y'all see what I'm saying? 
That's why when Paul says, he goes through Romans 5, which is my favorite part of the whole Bible, he goes through Romans 5 and then he gets into Romans 6. And what he said, he says, well, should we just keep sinning? Should we just, now should we just keep on doing this so that grace may abound? Certainly not. But what does he say? Why? Because this is gone. How, and he says, how can you live in something you have died to in Christ? We, see, we, we, I'm try, please, I'm trying to get you to, to get this through your minds, okay? I'm trying my best. That it's not an issue of whether or not we're gonna live in sin. It's an issue of whether or not we're going to live a lie. That is the sin. On the other side of the cross, the sin is not what the devil's doing in the world because he was stripped of all authority at the cross. The sin is you and I living in something that has been put to death. So the only way for you and I to be alive is to live in Christ. But there are not two competing views at odds with each other. The devil and Jesus are not going against each other. The devil died. You know what I'm saying? It's not the devil and Jesus just pounding and out going against each other. It's something within you and I that questions the validity of the fullness of this that becomes that which starts to go against it. So it isn't the devil versus Jesus, it's religion against covenant. You and I will try to approach Jesus by way of religion on religion's terms, which goes directly against the way that you approach Jesus by way of covenant. And we'll say it's spiritual warfare. It is not spiritual warfare. It's you living a lie. Great news is, is it's a lie. All you've got to do is step into the light. And, but that's what I wish growing up, I wish when we told people you have a decision to make, I wish we presented it like this this is your decision. How many people, how, how easy is that to say yes to? Effortless. All I'm asking you to say yes to is being who you really are at your core. Who wants to live a lie anyway? That was the gospel. The whole New Testament was to try to get the early church people to realize who they really were so they would stop buying into something that was a lie. That was the whole New Testament, the whole thing. That's why they're going against the covenant over and over. I mean, the law over and over and over and over. They're going against the law because you can't get to this by way of the law. You know what Romans 5, y'all, y'all know what Romans 5 says? It says the law was brought in. Why? Why was the law brought in? Romans 5 at the end, 21, I believe. The law was brought in. Why? So that sin might increase. The law was brought in so that the trespass, so that sin might increase. What's the point of the sin increasing? So that when Jesus is nailed to a tree and he says, it is finished, we know exactly what he is talking about. And that's the gospel. So uh, you, the gospel is, here's the question, number one. The gospel is this. You have been made whole. Why live one more day broken? Or maybe you could say it like this. You've been given infinite value. Why live one more day cheap? That's the gospel. 
Here's another way of saying this. I was talking to somebody this week at USC and, um, and we, they were just talking about how everybody at USC just sleeps around, okay? Everybody at USC is sleeping with everybody else, all this other stuff. And, uh, and, I said, and they were like, we don't know what to do, Christian organization. Like, we don't know what to do. We keep telling them that's not biblical. You shouldn't be doing that, blah, blah, blah. They just keep doing it. And I said, well, I'm not a part of a college ministry. Well, I say that, and then most of our people are college. But anyway, I said, I'm not, I'm not a part of college ministry, so I could be talking out of line. I was like, I wonder, I wonder if they knew how valuable they were if they would keep settling for something that cheap. Because we keep telling people, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. And we never tell them the reason you shouldn't be doing this is because you have infinite value. And if you see yourself having infinite value, guess what you're not gonna do? Give that value to people who are cheap. Do you know what I'm saying? I don't struggle with sleeping around. And it's not because I'm married, it's because I know who I am. And I never, listen, I never struggled with that before. Mostly because I, I couldn't. But anyway, that's, that's the only other thing, you know what I'm saying? I wasn't that cool. But, 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 thank God. But I'm telling you, what that's, but that's the gospel. It's not, this is what you need to stop doing or else you'll go to hell. It's, this is who you really are and it blows your mind away compared to what you thought you really were. I mean, it's, and you say, well, man, that's just, that's just, that's just a lot. No, 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 no. It's not a license to send the Lord. Have you, we've missed the whole thing. If you hear the gospel and you say, that's amazing. I'm just going to go do whatever I want because there's grace now. You have not heard the gospel. That's not the gospel. The gospel is you've been given life to the full that everybody else around you is searching their hardest for and cannot find because there's only one place to find it, Jesus. You can't find, listen, you can't find life to the full sleeping around. I won't write it down. You can't find life to the full sleeping around. You think that, but it's a lie. You try it and you feel worse than you did before. Why do people struggle so much looking at stuff on the computer they shouldn't be looking at? It's because there is a moment where they fully believe this is going to give me a taste of truth, of life. And then it happens, and what happens? They feel less full of life afterwards than they did before because it's a lie. You can't find life in that. You can't find life in sin. You can't find life in drugs. You can't find life in alcohol. You can't find life in sleeping around. There's only one place that you can find life and it's the way and the truth and the life in Christ that leads you to the Father, that fills you with a spirit that does not make you just bilingual. It fills you with a spirit that cries out what? Abba, Father. Lord, like, oh man. What if that's what we taught on the Holy Spirit? Here, we're gonna be filled with the Holy Spirit today. Here, we're gonna be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I, how many, we're, the Lord's gonna give you, get, you're gonna speak in tongues, you're gonna prophesy, you're gonna do it. And what we completely missed is the first part of us being filled with the Holy Spirit is the Spirit crying out from our inner being, Abba, Father, prophesying that we are sons and daughters of God, testifying to the fact that we are sons and daughters of God. That is a gift of the Spirit. 
It is illegal for you to prophesy over somebody if you haven't believed in the call from your guts that says, Abba, Father. Illegal, which is why we have so many people running around prophesying wrong things over people. It's because there has not been a heart level transformation that said, Abba, Father, I am his kid and there's nothing I can do about it. And then you'll start seeing things differently. See, I'm not going to pray over somebody, or I'm not going to prophesy over somebody because it, it makes me feel good about myself. I'm going to prophesy over somebody because I see them as a son and daughter the way that I've been told I'm a son or a daughter. You call out, deep cries out to deep. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that deep spiritual gifts call out to deep spirit. It means that deep identity calls out to deep identity. Me becoming who I really am is what calls out to you in your guts becoming who you really are. I mean, okay. Okay, 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 okay. The gospel is you were born into a covenant of grace. This is Ephesians 1, 4. That was fulfilled in Christ apart from your works so that no one could ever boast about the fact that they earned it. This is what Ephesians says. You simply have to be convinced of who you really are and let go of a lie or distortion of who you really are. That's all you have to do. Grace is not a license to sin, it's a license to live. I wanna, I wanna end with this, I wanna end with this, and then I'll answer how do you share the gospel, how you live in it. We just went through COVID, two years of COVID, three years of COVID, how many years of COVID? Lord, 10, uh, it feels like 10. And so we went through all this and what we found out two things in COVID. We found out number one, how a virus, how, let me say like this, how viral a virus can be. We found that out, number one. And number two, we found out how important community is. You know what I'm saying? Like in the past three years, uh, I think it was Bill Johnson that said this. I think he said, uh, he said something to the effect of, I realized one thing during COVID, how much I love other people. And, uh, and I was like, well, you know, but he was, of course, that was a little tongue in cheek, but that's the same thing. You know what? I'm, I'm like, okay, I could be, you know, with Jordan and Veda and in a mountain house for the next 10 years and I'd kind of be okay with it. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, but during COVID, I realized how much I actually love being around people too. And so we, we realized those two things. And I started thinking about this this week and maybe, I mean, Mr. Bragg, we talk about this all the time with, with different things that have gone on. I thought about this this week. What if... What the enemy meant for bad, God is using for good, but what if what we have seen over the past three years is a testimony to how contagious something can be? If I had COVID right now, a lot of you just by being in the room with me would go home and probably test COVID, test positive for COVID this week. Just by being in the room, we wouldn't even have to have a face-to-face -face conversation just by being in the room with somebody who is infected with that virus, that virus would begin to attach itself to you. Y'all feel me where I'm going? How much more would light be viral from our lives if we could just be infected with it? What, what if you're sitting in a coffee shop and all of a sudden everybody in that coffee shop gets infected with the light that's within you because of how viral it is. Y'all feel me? Y'all feel me? 
See, that, that is how the gospel is supposed to be spread. It's supposed to be you become infected with the good news to such a degree that your shadow begins to fall on people and they're made whole too. That's what Peter did. He's walking. He doesn't even know what he's doing. He's walking. The shadow's hitting people and they're being healed. What if people line up down the street just to watch you walk by knowing if I can just get within eyesight of them, I'm going to be made whole? What would happen? It would be you being 100% convinced of who you are on the inside and your light being overflowed into other people. So how do we share the gospel? How do we share the gospel? By becoming the gospel of light. It is ignorant to teach people they need to repent of their immorality, beg God to save them and live holy in everything they do so they can go to heaven. That is ignorance. Ignorance. Run from that gospel. That's not good news. That's awful news. That means because of Jesus, you've got to do even more than you did before Jesus. Before Jesus, all we had to do was bring some lambs every now and then, sacrifice, and we're made whole. Now after Jesus, if the gospel we've teached is right, now after Jesus, we're worse than we were before Jesus, and we live every day of our lives begging for mercy. That's not the gospel. That's awful news. That's not good news. That's terrible news. You know what I mean? Which is why you can't find it in your Bible. So that's why, you know, that's a good thing. Let, let's use their own language, though, and just shift this a little bit. What does repent mean? Metanoia. Metanoia, repent, means to change how you think. Okay? What if the response is, instead of you've got to do this, what if the response is you need to realize and offer up thanks to God for Jesus who has made you whole? What if instead of telling people they need to live holy, instead we told them they are holy in everything that they do? What if instead of telling people they've got to live holy so that they go to heaven one day, we said heaven longs to invade your world here and now because you're holy? Do you see, see how this shift from a religion to covenant changes everything? In one minute, in that one minute, I went from and we went from telling people they stink and need to try harder to telling people they have infinite value already. They just need to change how they think and stop trying to earn the value they already have. That's the irony of religion. The irony of religion is what causes immorality is broken identity. People who, are, people who know who they are don't live very much in immorality. Nobody in this room is going to leave here today and murder somebody who cuts you off in traffic. Why? Because you're made pretty whole. You don't, you're not questioning who you are. And therefore, you're making good decisions. So that's the, the irony of religion is what causes immorality is broken identity. Religion, religion will leave people broken on an identity level while forcing people to have better morals. And people will never have better, better morals if what causes immorality is still present. But when we shift to a covenant or a kingdom way of thinking, we fix the root cause of immorality. Thus, people, now whole in who they are, have morals naturally. In that day, I will write my law on their minds and in their hearts. So I don't have to get you to live better. I do not have to get you to live better. I have to convince you of your value and you'll live better on your own. The woman caught in the act of adultery was told to go and sin no more. 
after she was told, neither do I condemn you. Right? The, woman, the woman's thrown out naked in the streets and they're ready to stone her. Jesus says, any of you without sin, throw the first stone. Everybody walks away. He gets down and he does not say, you better not sin again. He says, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. He reinforced her righteousness, which gave her permission to go and sin no more. We've told, I said this last week, we've told people over and over and over to go and sin no more without first reinforcing the fact that he does not condemn them. And listen, you can't go and sin no more unless you're convinced you're not condemned. Do you, like, are y'all good? I know it's late, I'm done. I mean, you, can, you cannot, it's impossible for you to go and sin no more unless you first become convinced you're not condemned. But if you become, you're convinced that you're not condemned, or what if you become convinced that you're not condemned, guess what's gonna start happening? You're gonna stop sinning. How, so last question, how do you live in, let me, let me say it like this. I missed a point. Kings don't live like slaves. Slaves live like slaves. We have to remind the slaves that they're actually kings. So how do, we, how do we live in and through that gospel? How do we live through that? We do it a couple ways. Number one, secret place. Number one is the secret place where the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are meeting you consistently to reinforce truth. The secret place. Number two, and I believe this is crucial. If this is anything we've learned over the past three years, hopefully it's this. We have to be around church family that is free from the ties of religion as much as possible. I need you. I need you in the moments where I'm sliding back into my mask or when I'm sliding back into feeling bad about myself because of my performance. I need the people around me to be able to come in and say, hey, hold up, hold up. This is not it, but this is. You know what I'm saying? And if there's anything we've missed over the past three years, is that everybody's running from church. Every, not here, but everybody in America is running. The church is losing people by the droves. They're running because they don't, have, they don't see any value in community. This is of infinite value. I need you to remind me of who I am, and I need to remind you of who you are. And that becomes a spin to where we never forget who we are because there's people around us constantly reminding us. It's huge, okay? So being around church family. And number three, and this is, this, is, this is my last point. We need to be really careful who we let speak into our lives. Jesus told the disciples that a little yeast from the Pharisees would permeate the entire batch of dough. He says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. One drop of leaven has the power to permeate the entire batch. There are a ton of leaders preaching a gospel of works, claiming to be free of religion. And I don't care what anybody says, I do care how people live. You and I, the people, you know who we need to let pour into us? You, me and you need to find a grandpa or a grandma or a mom and dad or somebody who's been through this 
that is the real deal and let them speak into our lives, not your favorite mega church pastor on Instagram. You know what I'm saying? I listen, I'm, I'm so glad that you got an assignment. The, you know what the word assignment is? If you're in school, you know this. It, the, literally, if you have an assignment in school, that means you've got to perform to a certain level and you're gonna get a grade based on your performance. You don't have an assignment. Lord, that's all I need to know about where we are. You have no assignment. You have an identity. You, have an ident- you don't have an assignment, you have an identity. And that identity does great works, but you do not have an assignment. But this is, do, you need to be real careful who's pouring in your life. I'm, I'm looking for, I pray all the time, Lord, would you send us gray hair to this church? That's what I pray all the time. Lord, send us gray hair, send us gray hair, send us gray hair. That's what I want, I want gray hair. And, but it's called, I, I want, you know what I want? You know, here's how I want to pour in my life. I want a dad, my dad's one of these. I want a dad who has been a faithful husband and a faithful father for decades. That's who I want to pour into my life. I don't care, I don't care what people have done on a stage with a microphone, I care what people have done in secret when nobody's watching. That's who I want to pour into my life. That's why I sat at a table with Mr. Bragg last Thursday and I told y'all this last week and he said, you know, you've been, you've been a little edgy lately, yeah, right? And I said, yes, sir, I have, you know what I mean? But I, I, I need, he is, him and Miss Sally have a marriage that I want me and Jordan to have one day. That is the people we need to pour into our lives, right? Mr. Bragg doesn't have a million followers on Facebook. I don't even think you have Facebook, do you? Yeah. Find you somebody that don't have social media. No, I'm just kidding, because I have social media, so you know. But you know what I'm saying? But, uh, but you see, we, that, we need to shift that. See, we don't do that in the church. We want the cool people to pour into us. The cool people don't need to be pouring into anybody. I mean, let's be real. I mean, let's be, you know what I'm saying? Uh, like we, we, I want people to pour into me. That's why I'm so, listen, when you guys aren't here, when you guys aren't, the integrity of who I am and my character and who I am to my wife and who I am to my daughter and who I am to our neighborhood, all of that stuff matters to me because when I pour into you, I want it to be the real thing. I don't want it to be the fake thing that's masked with a bunch of theological language. I want it to be the real thing. And that's what's, that's what's happening here. That's what's happening here. So I'm gonna pray. I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes. And uh, I'm gonna just ask this question. I did this last week, but I, I want you to be real because we've talked through a couple of things now. We have talked through what salvation is and we've talked through what the gospel is. Of course, they, they go hand in hand. And I wanna ask you this, maybe you're watching online or listening to this later and you can't do this in person, but you can do this where you are. But I wanna ask you in the room, like, has anybody in the room, maybe you've never, like, believed in the, in the gospel. What everything I just said, you never believed. You've bought into the works thing. You know what I mean? You've tried your best. Maybe you've even said that before. Like, man, I've just tried. I've done all the right things. I've tried my best. And things just, it's because you were never supposed to do all the right things. The right thing has been done for you. You just need to live convinced that the right thing's been done. Is there anybody in the room that you maybe have never have never believed in that gospel that you just kind of throw your hand up and I would love to pray with you. I'm not gonna call you out or anything. Anybody in the room? Anybody in the room? Amazing, amazing, awesome. Let me pray over everybody and then, uh, and then we'll be out. Lord, I pray that you would, uh, one, I, pr- I pray that you would fill in the gaps that I missed. 
because this, this, is, this is huge. You're, you're bringing us back to the foundation to fix all the cracks in it. And Lord, I, I want you to do the work. I want you to finish it. But Lord, I pray this week, we'll start to see some things different. I mean, we've been in this same arena of topic for about a year now. We have remained. And I pray that there would be a fresh perspective, a fresh perspective that just begins to move off of our lives and into other people's lives off of us that we have never had. We're gonna be people of hope. When Russia invades Ukraine, we're not gonna slump down and be depressed. We're gonna be people of light that begin to shine forth in that darkness. When the economy's bad, when inflation's bad, when gas prices go up, when somebody in our family dies, when somebody in our culture does something they weren't supposed to do, all these things that normally take us to a really deep place suddenly because of the realization of the gospel, even in that deep place, we find hope. This is what we just walked through personally with my aunt. And I know I've shared this with you guys, but this is, this is what we walked through. And like, we, there, is a hope, there is hope. The great cloud of witnesses is not a distance away, it's a veil away. So Lord, I just, I thank you for that. I thank you, we got hope. This will be the good news that marks this generation. I'm believing that. There's a shift in good news in this generation and this will be what, it mark, what it's marked by, which is what you have done, not what we have done.